1: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. back again with another episode of the pennsylvania woodsman podcast thanks again guys for tuning in i feel like a brokered record when i say this and start these episodes off but it is true i really appreciate everybody who comes in we got a lot of faithful listeners i really thank you for the feedback that i've got and uh, i I pray that this continues to go on and i pray we can just continue to provide content that is relevant entertaining and informative you know that is our biggest goal here for the state of Pennsylvania and you know the northeast portion of the country Uh, pretty important to me and you know this week's episode is going to be no different this week we have a sort of well-known name as far as Pennsylvania hunters go, um, you know, he's done a little bit of article writing and stuff like that. And, uh, he, he does some competitive shooting and he really, his name really became known after his 2020 whitetail harvest, uh, where he killed what is now, I believe the number two typical archery kill in the state of Pennsylvania. And his name is Corey Golvis. And I had a fantastic conversation with Corey. And it was just kind of a BS conversation. You know, we talked about a number of things. And I I think uh, just because we we enjoyed the conversation and we drug it on a little bit longer, we're going to break this episode into two parts. In this first part, we're we're gonna just kind of talk about the the general sense of hunting and that evolution of Corey's hunting and how he started and got into bow hunting and the progression he had of going from a compound bow into that recurve that he's shooting now. Um, you know, the traditional gear. We talk a little bit about mountain buck hunting in big woods we you know talk about his scouting he talks a little bit about his shed hunting and how that relates to the fall and how he positions himself in the fall and then we'll follow up um in in the second part of this episode um probably next week where we will discuss some of the things about traditional archery and how that process unfolded for him and the things that he experienced in, in that and he's going to talk about you know specifics of shooting that as a as a compound shooter like myself some of it's kind of foreign to me but I can still relate some of the technique as far as executing a good quality shot and a shot sequence and a surprise shot um, it's all important but I you know one thing about Corey is he's he's a really really dedicated individual he loves being in the woods he loves whitetail hunting and he loves the sport of archery you know he he shares that with us a bunch that archery and traditional archery has really changed his life and that passion of getting out and shooting your bow it's just every day he's got that on fire and you know one of the things I realized with Corey when I was talking with him you know maybe it's my my you know, I'm still young, I've got that ambition that I just gotta. I have to fill a tag And one of the things he said in the conversation on this episode And he said it in another conversation I got to have with him He's like, you know, if I don't fill a tag in the fall, the world keeps spinning And, you know, I have other people that I look up to in the world of hunting <clears throat> You know, family, friends, and I've heard other people, you know, big names say stuff like that But I guess it's just like a personal struggle that I just think I have to fill a tag in the fall. I have to shoot a buck. And, you know, he was talking about that. He's like, it's not about the kill. I don't enjoy killing stuff. He goes, that's just part of the hunt. He goes, it's the whole journey and the process to get there. And I. You know, hearing it from him, I guess I had to hear it from somebody else other than the people who typically say it to me, but that kind of resonated with me a little bit. I mean, there's so much more about what we do as hunters than actually getting a kill. I mean, I guess getting the kill is what, you know, signifies that you accomplished your ultimate goal, but, you know, the journey to get there is, is a bigger deal. And, uh, we talk about that and I know that to be true, but, um, I think it's just a mindset. So I, I just, that was just one thing that stuck with me and made me realize, you know, we, we had that conversation with, uh, Jared Renninger last week of the One Wish and talking about what's way bigger than us, you know, things that are way bigger than us as far as why we hunt and, you know, our, our, giving back in a sense and then you know we, we have this conversation with cory who don't get me wrong is all about chasing mature whitetails in the big woods of pennsylvania which i love but it's it, it's just kind of a mindset thing and i think it's one of those things that will help me personally in my evolution of trying to be a better bow hunter so hey i hope you guys enjoy these conversations um over the next two episodes with Corey, and uh we will catch you here in a little bit real quick just want to do some housekeeping stuff Um, shout out to Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland Pennsylvania. Guys we are here in June and uh, we're out of June I'm sorry we're into July and let me tell you I was just there the shelves are stocked and there is a PSC, a Prime, a Bear a Matthews all those bows are waiting there with your name on it if you guys are looking to upgrade um, I was in there getting some of my equipment tuned up and he was getting some arrows cut for me um, and I was you know they are fully stocked and ready to set you up and they do a great job tuning I was having an issue with my one bow I have in uh, in just my cables uh, I was having it uh, I just couldn't get it to tune you get a good tear and You know, lo and behold, Devon and Terry that were in there did a great job and and got me shooting my bullet hole, which I think is hopefully going to result to, you know, more accurate shooting. And, you know, I'll I'll tweak from there with broadheads. But, you know, those guys are are dedicated and they're good at what they do. They have great customer service. And, you know, not to mention the fact that they've got some Rambo bikes there for you to check out if you're looking to, to, you know, upgrade and get an e-bike on your property. Um, And they also have the saddle hunting equipment that you need, trophy line, tethered. Um, And they've got a a lot of other accessories. So, guys, be sure to check them out. If you're starting to prepare and, you know, do your inventory of the equipment that you have and you want to upgrade and stuff like that, um, that is a stop that I would recommend you go to. So check them out, Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania. And the last thing I wanted to mention before we get into this episode July, oh goodness, it's next week. This episode is airing on Friday, so it's the beginning of next week. Oh my goodness, where's my calendar? It's like like July 11th is when doe licenses go out. Yep, that's what it is. So as this episode airs on Friday the 8th, um, get your antlerless applications filled out and put in the mail so you can have them at the... you can have them at the courthouse by Monday the 11th and get your first round of resident applications in. I just wanted to remind everybody of that. And now we're at the point, let's get to the episode. All right, we are rocking ready to roll here. And uh, on this week's episode, we've got Corey Golvis talking with us. And Corey, you are, first of all, thank you very much for coming on and chatting with us here on Pennsylvania Woodsman um, you know you've uh, a lot of people have heard your name before because you've you've spoke different things or you've uh, written articles or stuff like that but uh, 2020 a lot of people knew your name after a f- fantastic archery season that you had um, so you know with that if, if you don't know who Corey Golvis is all you have to do I think is Google his name and he'll pop up but we're thrilled to have you Corey and, and yeah how are you doing?
2: I'm good, Mitchell. Thanks for having me. I'm um, looking forward to talking with you. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely was uh, a blessed hunter in, in uh, 2020, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah
1: you know. <clears throat> I, I can't wait to dive into some of that, but, I mean, tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself for those of, you, of our listeners who might not know who you are.
2: Okay, sure. I am uh, I live in north-central Pennsylvania. I'm not originally from here. I live in actually live in Toga County here. I moved here, I guess, about 20 years ago, uh, due to a job. I'm, I'm originally from Clearfield County, and I'm 43 years old. Um, been bow hunting, I guess, it's been almost 30 years. I've uh, been in the woods my entire life. Um, I have a, a father that's, uh, um, big into turkey hunting. Uh, some people may have heard his name, uh, Denny Galvis, but, uh, he's, he's big into turkey, uh, studying turkeys' voices and things like that. And that's kind of how I grew up was, was turkey hunting. Um, Deer hunting was kind of a second thing to me. Um, I loved turkey hunting and I still do like turkey hunting, but about, uh, 18 years ago, I started, uh, getting really big into deer hunting. Uh, mainly in the, in the big woods deer hunting, um, kind of through shed hunting, actually. And, uh, you know, it's shed seasons in the springtime of the year and it cuts into my turkey hunting and I don't get a whole lot of turkey hunting in anymore because I'm, I'm shed hunting all the way till the middle of May. Um, cause up here in, 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 you know, the North country, our, our greenup doesn't happen until about the middle of May. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I've been, th- I've been bow hunting 30 year, about 30 years. Um, I started at around 92, uh, I started shooting a, a compound in 1992 and, uh, back then we were talking last week, Mitchell, back then, um, you know, technology was obviously a lot different. I can remember, you know, I was, I guess, 12 years old, 13 years old, something like that in, in, in 1992. And. They didn't have bows that fit, you know, a thirteen-year-old back then. You okay. know, so I had to I had to learn how to use basically an adult bow, and uh, I didn't hunt until my second year of shooting. And uh, you know, it was a lot different back then. It was not everybody bow hunted. Um, you know, it's a lot of people may not like me for saying this, but it's definitely easier to shoot a bow right now. There's there's no question about oh, that. The that, technology's yeah. there. You know, and and then that's that, that's a good thing, and, and somewhat. Could be a negative thing too. And uh, before we get going too much, you know, what I'm going to tell you, Mitchell, is all my opinion here. Uh, you know, throughout the night, um, sure. Some people may not agree with me. Um, I'm more, I'm definitely the older I get, the more traditional I get, for sure. In, in the way, in, in the way I think, and. Um, you know, so not this is all my opinion, you know, and uh, like I said, maybe not everybody will agree with me on, on everything, and that's fine. Everybody has an opinion on
1: everything. You uh, know? Hey, so. we find that all the time, and, you know, we've I've talked about this before on other episodes and stuff, like – we all find ourselves getting into a niche within the outdoors. You know, I talk mm-hmm. a lot about food plots. I talk a lot about private land stuff, but I love hunting public land. Or, you know, I I shoot fixed blade broadheads. If somebody chooses to shoot an expandable broadhead, that's up to them. That's okay. You know, it's 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 right. not what we can right. but you know, um we do this podcast because it gives an opportunity for people to share their experiences and everything else and you said something um well the last time we talked you said you know i, I definitely don't have this all figured out you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning and stuff and by no means would i say i have anything about big woods or, or you know you know recurve Mm -hmm. or anything like that have it figured out and i think that's why we're all so driven because we don't have it figured out and it's it's helping us get better because we can get other people's perspective and challenge our opinions and or or, and maybe that solidifies what we do believe or maybe it changes our way of thinking opens our mind up so you know we're you're you're definitely uh Uh, a very skilled archery hunter and and skilled big woods hunter and that's why we want to we love chatting with guys like you and um i'm anxious to hear all about it so you'd said um you started bow hunting you know it was kind of a secondary thing whitetails were but what was like your driving passion or what what changed in you that you wanted to start chasing whitetails a little bit more than turkeys uh
2: it all started probably in the 2005 season when i started shed hunting the mountains um i kind of i shouldn't say stumbled upon a big shed but i kind of did you know i shed hunted i've loved i I always shed hunted ever since i was a kid and i didn't have much success when i was a kid but um of course nowadays you know there's a lot more bucks left over after the season you know so there's your your chance to find sheds are much greater than what they were back then but um uh, but yeah, the 2005 season, I, I came across a big shed. And when I say big, it was 130 inch eight point. And, uh, long story short, I ended up chasing that deer for four years. And, uh, he disappeared after a hard winter in 2009, I think it was 2000. Yeah, 2009 it was. And I never saw him again. I'm pretty certain that he would have died in the winter. But, um, I had four years of sheds over here, you know, from that deer and he kind of, kind of got me. I guess, into it, I guess. And, uh, you know, you start something, you start one activity or hobby and you just kind of get more and more slowly into it. And, um, you know, that 2005 season, I I was able to kill a pretty nice deer a six and a half year old deer that year. And over the next couple of years, you know, this is all, you know, when I was talking with the compound, um, over the next, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, up until 2012. Anyways, I had success almost every year on mature deer and, uh, around 2012, I just, I, something wasn't wasn't clicking like it was. I just I just kind of got bored and, and I can remember specifically driving home from work um, in July of that year and telling myself this is July 2012, telling myself that gosh I got to get that bow out. I got to get that bow out and shoot that bow. Archery season's coming. Well, i assume, you know I, I'm, I'm a am recur- I'm a I'm a traditional archer now and you know, I, I shoot a recurve and longbow and uh, I can tell you right now every single day on my way home from work I am pedal to metal. To get home and shoot my bullets you know all year long 365 days a year and it's just it's just church archery just it's made me kind of like a, a new a born again hunter it's just it's just made it so much more fun for me and i do not kill a deer every year i don't kill a deer every year and, and that doesn't bother me i didn't kill one last year matter of fact I didn't, I didn't even have an encounter on a mature on a truly mature deer last year and uh and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that i know going into every season that i'm not you know there's a good possibility i'm not going to kill something and uh because, you know, with a recurve it's a completely different ball game. You have to get them close. And uh, you gotta keep it together too, mentally when a when a deer's approaching because you have no sights, you know, that's one thing. You, you know, one of the I'm not gonna say downfalls, but you don't obviously don't have any sights. I don't use sights or anything like that. I do aim the air, I'm a gap shooter, but it's just so much more uh involved, you know. And when you do kill something with a recurve, the actual the, the the feeling of personal satisfaction—there is nothing greater, absolutely nothing greater than that, mm. in my opinion. Nothing can take that away from you because you, you know all the hard. I'm not going to use the word "work" because it's not work to me. Um, shooting a bow and all that hunting—it it is not work to me. Um, all that preparation, all those that tens of thousands of arrows that I shoot every year—all come down to that one, that one shot. And when you make it happen, and when you, when you're able to get your hands on that bucket, even though whatever. It's just such a great feeling, so much greater than what it was when I, sh- when I hunted with a compound. There's nothing to compare to, to me. Again, this is my opinion. There's nothing that, that matches that level, level of personal satisfaction. But um, anyway, I, I I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, um, what we, you know, we're going to talk about here, what we talked about last week. But, um, you know, back 30 years ago, it was a lot different, but not everybody bow hunted. If you, you know, bow, bow season was a special season set aside for the people, the guys and women too, who wanted to challenge themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And nowadays, nowadays it isn't so much like that anymore, you know? And again, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, you know, there's the crossbow has been legalized, you know, that's definitely a, definitely a a huge change in in many States, you know, society has changed season expansion. Exactly. Society has changed drastically, you know, especially since the invention of the internet, the internet has changed people so much. And, uh, I always think about this, the older I get, the more I think about this, but did you ever see that movie back to the future.
1: Oh man, With, you're uh, showing my age, man. I never watched the movie back to the future. You never well, watched I've it. Okay. Well, it so I'm sure the, times.
2: I'm sure the listeners of list have, have seen it, but anyway, the guy invents a time machine, you know, and he, he travels through time. And, uh, anyways, I, I always think about it. the older I get, the more I think about this, you know, if we if we could invent a time machine and go back 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however, however many years and just look at how we have changed as, as a society, you know, would we like what we see? I don't know, but, um, that's some of the things that I think about. And, you know, going back to the recurve, that's, it's just, it's lit so much more, uh, it's made it so much more fun for me, you know, and, uh, but I've been, you know, I've been very fortunate with my, with my upbringing, you know, with my dad being a big hunter he taught me the right way, what I feel is the right way to hunt. You know, he never, never taught me to be a killer. You know, I, I don't, I don't consider myself a killer. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I would consider myself a hunter for sure. Mm. And, uh, I, I don't enjoy killing things. To be honest with you. I don't. Um, that's not, that's not the reason why I hunt. Um, it's a part, that's a small part of the reason why I hunt. You know, I, we talked last week and I told you how much I love shed hunting. Well, I'm not killing anything in in the spring, mm-hmm. you know, and I just love being in, in the woods and, uh, anyway that's kind of some of you know my background I guess in in a nutshell but uh so yeah yeah
1: well a lot a lot is a lot of wheels are turning in my mind of all the things that you kind of brought up and kind of brought into light about you know who you are and what you're what you're most passionate about and uh I I I can sense I've noticed from talking with you your passion um really is within um the hunt not the kill and also um you're you're just absolutely infatuated with that bow and arrow with 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 a stick bow and I'm intrigued by that you know I've I've shot a compound my entire life since I'm I'm young I've really never been around Recurve longbows. I mean, I've I've messed around with it, or maybe you know, sixth grade camp or something. I was flinging arrows with one, um, but I've really just been a compound archer. You know, I've I've shot indoor a little bit. I've um, messed around 3D targets. I've 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 practiced and hunted with that my whole life. And that's what I've grown used to. But I've always been um, absolutely like I have nothing but respect for somebody like yourself who puts it because it, it, it's a little bit extra in my opinion it, it's there's a, there's more preparation there there's it's just more detailed more in depth than a compound when it comes to your shooting form of stuff i mean don't get me wrong our compound setups i mean i have a lot of man hours into tweaking sure, and setting that yep. up to be an accurate hunting setup but um you know i i haven't picked my bow up and you know, and shot consistently for two weeks. On and off I've shot sure. a little bit, but I haven't picked it up. And just the other night I, I was going and do something outside and there was a groundhog out back in my food plot and I snuck in, I grabbed my bow, I snuck back up and at twenty yards I drew back and shot him and it was a twelve ring. And it was like mm-hmm. it was just autopilot. And I think about that now, like if I was gonna do that with a stick bow and I didn't shoot for two weeks and went in cold on a shot like that, it's it's gotta be different.
2: It absolutely is different. And first of all, I yeah, I, I have absolutely nothing against somebody who hunts the compound. I did for a lot for twenty years and, and a lot of my best friends are compound hunters, absolutely nothing against me. Um but I it's, it's just the recurve has actually changed it has enriched my life. And getting what you just said, Mitchell, it's funny you say that because I I worked uh this week I missed three days of shooting. I like I said I typically shoot every day and I missed three days of shooting and um because of work, I worked long hours of work here this week and um, uh, I come home, I think it was Thursday or Friday after that third day and I was, I was extremely rusty after that, after missing just three days. You know, it took me probably a good 20 minutes to get, just to get my form down and, and, you know, to get, pulling through the shot and get a solid bow arm and things like that. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I, when I with a compound, um, throughout my twenties and into my early thirties, um, I, I, my mind frame was a lot different than what it is now. You know, um, I, I wanted to kill a deer every year. And if I didn't, it, I can almost, a lot of times I considered the season a failure. When I look back at that, I just shake my head at that and think, what the heck, you know, that's just, just that's crazy. That's not what hunting is. You know, that's not, that's not what it is. You don't have to kill a deer every year, you know? And, uh, I, I know that now. I know, you know, switching over to that recurve, I know now, like I said earlier that, uh, you know, there's going to be, could be a good chance I may not kill. I'm, I've had, I've had 140 inch deer at 20 yards with my recurve. That I could have shot 15 times in my compound. And, you know, I, I didn't kill him, you know, and, uh, and that's fine with me. I, I, I didn't lose any sleep over it. World kept turning, nothing, you know, nothing changed, you know, and if, and if I don't kill something, if, if I have an encounter like that, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna continue to hunt that deer. I'll look for his sheds that spring. And, you know, a lot of the deer that I've had encounters like that, I have found their sheds and, and I've continued to hunt them for the, for the next couple of years, you know, and, uh, but that's, you know, like I said, the kill isn't, it's not as important to me as, as what it used to be. I don't, I don't measure my season, um, strictly based off of what I kill. I don't do that anymore, but you know, the recurve, it's a journey. It is an absolute journey. You know, um, when, when I killed that deer two years ago, um, it did, I, I wrote a story from North American Whitetail for, for that deer and I re I circled it around, um, the, my journey, um, through, you know, learning how to shoot a recurve, you know, and, and things like that. And, uh, my whole intention with that was just to, uh, hopefully maybe inspire somebody to pick one up and try, at least try it, you know. And it's not for everybody, absolutely not for everybody, but it is for a lot of guys that haven't discovered it. I got lucky, you know, in, in 2012 was when I discovered it with my, with my younger brother. And, uh, but anyways, um, so yeah, it's, it's not for everybody, but it's, it is a ton of fun, a ton of fun. So.
1: I don't want to put you on the spot with this question or, 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 or too much, but you you talking about it, you had a 140-inch buck at 20 yards and you weren't able to, to get the job done. You weren't able to make it happen and, and kill that deer. I'm sitting back with the way I am in my mindset. and, and like I, I'm trying to do almost like a pinch-me reality check in that because I know how I am, and if, if I had a deer – that close and couldn't make it happen because of something like that. I I personally would be going off the wall. So, so (laughs) I I say that because I have to ask you the question and I'm, you know, it's a loaded question, but do, do you think because of all that's changed, like you mentioned the internet, you know, we've got shows and podcasts and everything at the tip of our fingers and we've got all the stimulus and hunting shows and stuff like that. Do you think there's been a push in society, in our hunting culture, and some people are hunting for the wrong reasons? And I say that because all the stuff you're talking about, about the pursuit and enjoying creation, enjoying being out in the woods and, and all that stuff, I feel that. But I, I, is, yep. it, is it just my young ambition that I just have it in my head? I have to fill a tag? Or is, is like? do you feel like it's different now than it was maybe when you started bow hunting?
2: I I think you mature as a bow hunter too. You know, I know you told me you, what you're 28, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, you got it.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think I think you do mature as a bow hunter. Um, I, looking back over my, you know, the years that I bow hunted, I, I definitely have. I've definitely changed my mind. Is, my mindset has changed. But the second part of that question, absolutely, on the internet, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that it has changed a lot of things, um, especially the how things are done. Um, the most important part to me now is, is how I do something because that's the fun part. You know, um, the you know, like I mentioned earlier, when you do kill a buck with a, with a recurve, when you, when you, when you, when you limit yourself like that, when you get your hands on there is absolutely no greater feeling of personal satisfaction. And a lot of people in today's society may not even know what personal satisfaction is. I can't tell you what personal satisfaction is. Personal satisfaction is felt. It's something that's felt. It's, you can't really measure. You can't really tell somebody what that is. You know, it's, it's after you put a lot of heart and again, it's not work after you put a lot of time and preparation into something. And when all finally comes down and you're able to connect on that deer or whatever, um, that sense of personal satisfaction, you feel it inside of you. And, uh, that's what bow hunting is supposed to be. That's what the season, that's what it was set aside for, you know, back years ago, you know, and, uh, a lot of, you know, it's, it's changed a lot. Um, that's, that's just my opinion. I can go a little further on that, but, uh, um, you know, that's just, this my opinion. But I, th- I think it's, it's two, two folded there, you know, like what you said there. It's, you change the older you get, the more you change, you know, uh, and, you know, and, and the internet has changed a lot of things too, for sure, you know, and there's some good things that have obviously come from, from the internet for sure and social media, you know, like, like, like just, just information on whitetail behavior and information on shooting a bow, setting the bow up. Um, you know things of that
1: nature. So you know, my my experience has been, I feel there are a lot more better hunters out there because of Absolutely. the information. I, I feel Absolutely. that it's made the the competition get a little bit more. For instance, I can think of some places on public land that I've traipsed around, and you know maybe at one time you wouldn't have really ran into anybody there. And now it's not uncommon to go back in, see trail cameras, see sign of human sign at places that you wouldn't have. And I think it's because there's people out there that, first of all, know what's out there because of trail cameras, which is technology that we didn't have years and years ago. So there's people that are finding out, hey, there's actually things out in these big woods of Pennsylvania that I didn't realize they were that big. Or of of that much uh, occur, you know there there, there were that many, um, right? And yep. uh, I, I think that that coupled with um, people who are willing to share information and learn, it's it's given that little extra edge that you know might, might get somebody to to pursue a little bit more. But absolutely, uh, yep. you, you know, you're somebody who's kind of you know you had a you had a a father who you've gone hunting with your life, but it, it sounds like um, your deer hunting, you've really kind of taken under your own merit. And, uh, you know, you've talked a lot about shed hunting. So I'm, I'm curious, like you talked about doing things your way and I want to do it my way. And there's a level of satisfaction that when the, I get the job done, you, you can't describe. So that tells me you're, you're always in pursuit of, uh, of a mature buck and you're trying to do everything you can to put yourself in that position so i'm kind of curious when you start out and the season ends and I, i know you're relentless on your shed hunting i'm curious what does that look like then for preparing the next season do you use a lot of the shed hunting information to make decisions for the fall or what does that look like throughout the course of a calendar year leading up to fall
2: back when I started shed hunting back in 2005 that's what it all revolved around was my the the the, the fall season basically I was scouting for the fall season and then about 2011 I started branching out going to different counties because I just enjoyed shed hunting so much that I eventually is spread out into eight counties and now I have a younger brother that I shed hunt with and we go we cover you know a lot of ground and uh, last year we didn't get out as much he, he spends he lived down in clearfield county but mm. He spends a lot of time down there and, um, uh, but yeah, I used to spend in 2005 to like 2011, all of my entire time was spent basically, you know, or shed hunting. I obviously enjoyed the shed hunting, but a lot of it was spent scouting. You know, that's, that's what I would do. Um, and then, you know, that time of year, obviously everybody knows you learn the woods so much better. Um, if you, you can see last year's sign. Which can be a double-edged sword sometimes. You know, some years you don't. Some years the bucks don't don't. They don't rub and scrape a lot. Some years I've seen like last year. You had a weird, extremely warm fall last year, and there wasn't many scrapes and rubs. At least in the in the mountains and the areas that I hunt, um, left behind. And I saw that this past uh, spring, you know, and uh, and getting talking about scrapes and rubs, okay, especially rubs. Um, I tell a lot of people this. Um, you know, I cover eight counties that I shed hunt in, and it's all in the mountains in in the north central. I do not see, you know, in relation to the big, you know, a lot of the sheds that I find and the size of some of the sheds that I find, this is talking over the last 20 years, I do not see a lot of sign as far as big rubs that would indicate a lot of these bucks even exist, and I don't know why that is. Like with that 190 steer I shot last year, in the three years I hunted him, he never left behind big rubs, never. There was never any big rubs in there. I mean, he could rip the telephone pole if he wanted to, and... Uh, it, and another big deer that I've hunted, I mean, obviously that's the biggest deer I've ever hunted, but I've hunted other 150, 116-inch deer that would never leave behind big rubs that would scrape. You know, you'd find a lot of scrapes and things like that, and and that's what I hunt. I do hunt a lot of scrapes in between uh, scrape areas and whatnot. But my biggest thing, um absolutely for sure, um as far as my, my biggest key to success, has been calling, deer calling, bar none, absolutely bar none. Um, when I hung the compound, all the mature bucks that I killed, every one of them came to a call. Every mm-hmm. single one of them did. And, uh, you know, a little bit has changed since then. There's more hunters in the woods. I noticed the calling doesn't seem to work as good as what it used to. But so let me, let me talk a little bit about this. Um, if, in order for calling to work correctly, um, number one, the biggest thing is obviously the wind has to be in your favor. If the wind is not in my favor, I am not touching a call. Um So I'm not out there blowing a deer call all the time or every day. There's a lot of days I don't even touch the call because probably in the mountains, I, at least 60% of my sits, the wind is swirling or it's doing something that I don't want it to do. And I'm not touching the call then. And uh, <laughs> my success on those days is not very good when that wind is switching. But that's what we got to deal with here in, in the mountains of Pennsylvania is swirling winds. Very seldomly do I get you know, winds that are a steady wind, you know, south or southwest breeze or whatever it might be. And
1: before you go, go any time. further with that, I have a question on that, if you don't mind. So with calling and talking about um, the wind in your advantage, are you do you kind of feel that wind in your advantage means the complete opposite direction of where you are expecting intended deer movement to come from? Or does that sometimes mean... Um, a wind direction might be kind of variable, but it, it, it's it's just off that I don't think I'm going to get busted. Like it's you when you talk about wind, I mean swirling right. winds. We, we face that in the mountains constantly. I'm I right. No, I, I I completely understand that. Everywhere I hunt, I feel like we deal with swirling winds. I want to sit in like a, a a closed you know plastic bag with with good gaskets sometimes I just have a little hole to breathe through so I don't get, you know, get busted. But right. I mean, right. can you elaborate a little bit more on that or, or any, if do you have any other thoughts on that wind direction thing?
2: You know, I, I try to, obviously I try to pay attention to what the weathermen say, but most of, a lot of the time, at least, you know, 60% of the time, it's not what, what they're, what they're predicting, at least on the ground. where I'm. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my entry trail to every one of my stands is, is specifically, you know, laid out, when I say laid out, it's 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 mapped out or whatever. You know, it's coming in from a certain certain direction, so that the wind is always in my face, right? Right. And I hunt. I try to hunt funnels now in the big woods. It's extremely difficult to find funnels. You don't. I mean, uh, my brother and I were in Kansas this past March shed hunting, and the, the the funnels you see out there. I mean, oh my goodness gracious, the funnels. I mean, you can have deer come by at ten yards. There's so many funnels, little little pinch points and stuff. If you don't. Have, everybody knows that. Listen to this. You know. Hundred Pennsylvania mountains, you don't obviously don't see that. You don't have that. So I'm, I'm trying to hunt. When I say a funnel, I'm talking. It might be a hundred yards wide or 150 yards across. And I'm sitting back off that funnel, and just you know, it's obviously upwind to me. And I'm waiting, obviously, for a deer or you know uh, to to approach, and then that's when I rely on the calling. I, I hunt a lot of mountain laurel.
1: Okay. And that's
2: the other reason why I've had a lot of success. Um, so I'm up above Mount Laurel, and deer. When you, you know, when you, when you call, deer obviously they can't see what's what's in that mountain. Laurel. So they ha- if they're interested, they have to come. And as long as the wind is right, in other words, the wind is in your face, blowing from them to you. Um, you know, if they're interested to come, you know, you're you got a good shot of getting them close, anyways. Um, there's a lot of things. You know, I've I've had good luck with doe calls. The the buck grunts have absolutely, especially the roar, of the buck roar, has absolutely been the deadly. Um, call for me um i wrote a story about i guess about 10 years ago i killed a buck called the lumpy throat buck um he was nine and a half years old 100 for four years it was and i had had one year one year i had one shed off and then several years of trail camera pictures off of him and i killed him by doing something that uh that i've never heard anybody talk about before and i'll share it here so this kind of goes back to a couple of years before I killed this deer. I've seen, I witnessed something happen two times in in the mountains and uh, both times were, were, were similar circumstances, similar circumstances. Um, it was the fifth week of the 2005, uh, archer season, which was like the first week in November. Mm -hmm. I'll try to keep, try to keep this short. It's kind of a long story, but I was sitting in the stand. I had a West wind that day. It was hitting me right in the left, left, left cheek. And it was consistent wind. All morning long it was out in front of me, um, to the north, looking to the north was out in front of me. Um, a doe starts snorting and I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? I could not see her. And, uh, I, I was, I was assuming it was a doe anyways. I, I didn't know for sure if it was. I ended up seeing her later on, but I couldn't figure out what was going on. She kept snorting, snorting. I'm thinking, what the heck is she snorting at? You know, and I've seen deer snort at bobcats and things like that. And finally I could see her up there and she's snorting like crazy. And I look and I could see a buck behind her. And a buck is harassing her and she's, she's, she's snorting at this buck. Mm-hmm. I mean, just snorting, snorting, get away from me, get away from me. She's saying, all right. And then they disappeared over the next hour and a half, six different bucks came from all different directions and they went right to exactly where she was snorting. And I didn't think much about it. You know, I did not think much about it, but that was, boy well, I was an. I mean, you see six bucks in the mountains. That's a great day of shit. a great day of hunting. Great I'll day. Of shit, man, great set. You know, a great day. I mean, I, like I told you last year, I've, I've had seasons where I've gone, you know, I've seen ten deer all season over 120, 150 hours in a tree stand. Ten deer, you know, that's that's a, that's a great day. So getting back to this uh calling stuff, that was 2005. Flash, flash, fast forward three years later, into Halloween morning, 2008. I'm sitting in a stand, and I had a doe, a mother and two young ones come behind me, and they got behind me, and got downwind to me. And that doe, and I don't get away with anything in the mountains as far as deer, um, smelling humans. They, if they smell humans, they are, they're, it's done. They don't accept any human odor. Agreed. So this doe this doe starts snorting at me. And she starts stomping her foot, snorting. And she's 20 yards, just snorting. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my morning's ruined, you know? Finally, after, I bet she stood there for a couple minutes, probably three, four minutes. Finally, she left and took the two young ones with her, just, you know, um, kind of trotted out of there. And over the next hour, five different bucks ended up coming in and they am coming right, you know, right around me going right exactly where she started snorting and two of them, two of those bucks ended up meeting up and they started sparring right in front of me. And right then when I seen that, a light bulb went off thinking, Holy smokes, what did I, you know, I saw that three years ago and, uh, what's going on. There's a couple videos on YouTube that were on YouTube. I don't know if you are still on there or not of this, but what, what happens is, um, these, uh, those will snort at bucks when they're being when they're being harassed by bucks. I've seen that before. You know, I saw it obviously that 2005 year, and you know when, when these deer and it's not every obviously not every occasion, but it's got to be in the right circumstances at the right time of year when bucks are out cruising. Um, when they start snorting, they think you know when a deer starts a snort always isn't a, a necessarily a warning call. A lot of people think it is. It's not always a warning call. See, I've seen other deer snorting. You know, other or deer. Other deer, you know, absolutely. Um, you, you probably have too. So when I seen that, a light bulb came on. I thought, "Holy smokes!" Because number one, a doe snort, or, or a deer snort is loud, right? Especially when you can hear a pin drop in the mountains. And uh, so I started in the next fall well, that year, and the following year, I started doing that, followed by buck growls, you know. And there's actually a couple of videos on YouTube that there were I don't know if they're still on there or not, but where you could see a buck. At, you know, the videos are on YouTube where young bucks chasing does, and those does are snorting at them while they're being chased, harassed. And it's almost like when the buck's behind him he's saying, Hey, hey, you know, hey and uh that's actually what I was doing when I killed that lumpy throat buck. I was actually snorting as loud as I could. And I was following with with uh uh buck growls, loud buck growls, buck growls. That pre I don't know if you've seen that primo's uh absolutely were you just using the your mouth or
1: were you using like a snort no, wheeze I, tube or
2: I, no I I have, so I was using that primo snort wheeze tube. Okay. With uh, a separate tube. They make a separate tube too that I use there. And then uh, the grunt call as well. But the, the other thing is how you blow the call. You have to open the back of your throat to do it. And you just, what you do is you say, hey, hey, into the call. Hey, hey. That's what you got to do. I'm not doing it that, that, you know, that frequently. I'm just, you know, every once, every couple seconds. And I'm then I'm snorting, snorting, you know. And, and it wasn't 45 seconds after I did that. I heard something behind me. He took off to my left here coming. And it was him coming to that call. And that's what killed him. That's actually how I got that deer it was doing those stores. And I, and I've called another several bucks since then, but it's, it's so loud. That's why it's, and it's effective. That way deer can hear from a long ways away, you know? And, uh, but it's something that I've never heard too many people talk about, you know? And it's something I've witnessed, witnessed twice. And I've heard buck growls too before and, you know, um, in, in the mountains, but it's, uh, the calling has absolutely been deadly, absolutely been the thing, you know?
0: Well, For I, me, want, I want
1: to ask you a question about that because the one thing that stems into my mind so, a lot of the reason why I would think nobody would ever talk about that is because I think a lot of hunters hunt in places where it's high hunting pressure or high human interaction. And it could easily be that, you know, I think about some of the places I hunt in Southeast Pennsylvania that have frequent human and hunting activity. And if a deer blows um, it's, there there's a higher percentage chance that that alert is alerting the surrounding area because there's human odor or there's human presence here. That's a danger. Now, Mm -hmm. do do you feel that the hunting pressure in the big woods and some of the locations you're going is less, or maybe would that not even be something that you'd consider in in that situation?
2: It it could be. I don't, I, I wouldn't consider that personally. I, I mean, there is hunting pressure. There's absolutely more hunting pressure now than what there was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but, I mean, that could be, but I, I don't know if, if that's that's so much the case. Um, the other thing that is different the Big ones too, is the buck of doe population is typically closer. And uh, that's probably one of the bigger reasons I've had success with, with, with the calling too. And the other, the other thing, too, is uh, your setup is, is extremely important. It, is, what I mean by that is obviously the wind. Um, that's obviously a no brainer, but like I said earlier, you got to have some cover underneath you so the deer can't, they can't see, you know, if, if, if they hear a deer calling, they got to come closer. They got to come, you know, to investigate or, I mean, a lot of times, obviously the calling goes against you too. They circle down India. I mean, I mean, all that happens a lot too. That happens a lot to me too, you know, but, uh, I try to hunt the edges of thick, laurel. a lot of times if you hunt the edges of thick, laurel, a lot of times they will come around those edges. Because the deer, I mean, a buck's to go through that, but they're, you know, I'm not going to call them lazy. They try to conserve energy. So they may not go through that laurel. They may skirt around it, which puts them in a more favorable favorable position where they, where they can't get it, you know, downwind as easily. You know, they got to go through that thick laurel. And, uh, but yeah, the calling has been, it has been extremely effective for me. There's no doubt it's changed. You know, like I told you last week, it's changed a little bit for me with the recurve. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, uh, I, I, get nervous, um, when a deer's approaching. I think we all do, but I get extremely more, you know, I get even more nervous when, when I got a recurve in hand. And, uh, um, I, I try, you know, I don't rely on the calling as much as what I used to because I, you know, like I said, I get nervous when a deer's, when a deer's coming to me, you know, and I try to, cause when they're coming to a call, they're constantly looking the whole time and nose is going, they're constantly looking, you know, and that's, that makes me edgy too, you know, and. Um, so now, you know, I, I spend more time in the off season, you know, in the spring and whatnot looking for areas where they might come through more naturally without even coming to the call, you know, and, um, and then, you know, I fine tune my hunt. I feel that I fine tune a little bit. And like right. I told you last week too, I can't hunt a lot, you know, hunt with a recurve. I, I used to when hunt in the compound, I used to go 22, 24 feet a tree, you know, with a recurve. I, I can't, I, I won't do that anymore. I could do that, but I, I won't because my shot angles are too severe. And it's, it's tough, it's difficult for me to make that angle, that high, you know, or that steep of a shot with, with a recurve. It's hard to shoot a recurve at that angle.
1: Okay.
2: Um, out of a tree when, when you're that high. So I, I'm mean, typically only going about 15 feet, um, in a tree and I'm trying to, you know, get in a hemlock or a white pine or something with cover around me, you know. So, but anyways, yeah. So right. the calling has been definitely, definitely extremely effective for me. But like we were talking last week, there is a push towards, uh, um, public land hunting, you know, the last, I don't know, 10 years, 8, 10 years, something like that. And trail cam, like you said earlier, trail cameras have changed that, um, because they, they let people know what's out there, you know, and, uh, before, you know, you, in order to know what was out there, you had to, you had to cover a little more ground, put a little more, I won't say more time into it, but you you had to, you you know, shed hunting is what I used to, um, back in 2005 when I started in, I don't know, all the way to 2010, trail cameras weren't, you know, they weren't as advanced as what they are now You know, as, as far as like, you know, all of them got like a, what a half second figure now. And yeah, back, ridiculous. back then, you know, right back then they were, you know, four seconds and you had to change the batteries every two weeks or something like that, you know, but, uh, it's, the technology knows it's come a long way so that they let us know what's out there, you know, more so than what, what was you know, back then the guys are seeing more what's out there too. And, and, uh-huh. you know, the whole thing about this too is I, I failed to mention earlier, you know, Bigwood's hunting is not for everybody. Um, for sure, because it's, it's physically demanding and it's mentally demanding. And the physical part, you can, you can, you can train for it. you can exercise and, you know, stay active and, and whatever. But the mental thing, you know, it's that you really can't, you, you can't really prepare yourself for that. Um, I think I told you last week about the 2015 season that I had um, where I went, I think I went like 50 hours of sitting in a tree and I had, I didn't see a deer in 50 hours. <laughs> and that's, you know, and I'd been doing it for 10, 11 years, you know, and I, you know, it had success and stuff like that. And I was, I'd come home and tell my wife thinking like, did I forget everything that I thought that I knew? And, so uh, I ended up like,
1: luck- <laughs>
2: yeah, right. But it's not, you know, there's a lot of people that may not want to do that, you know, and, and that's fine, whatever, but you gotta, you know, I enjoy being in the woods and you have to take that, that you have to have that attitude. And, uh, you know, that year I, I ended up killing a, 130 inch nine point it was, and, you know, five and a half year old deer. That was my first mature deer with a recurve. And I think it was the eighth deer that I've seen all year. That was November 12th. I killed him. And, uh, I think, you know, I don't know. I hate to even get, tell you how many hours I had sitting in the tree. And, um, it's tough in that, in some respects too, because like I said, you know, I get nervous being around deer. I, you know, I get, I ain't got a lot of idea. That's why I do it, you know, for the, for the adrenaline rush. And.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I so think think that's you could, if you go if you get.
2: Right. If you, if you go that long, you know, without seeing a deer, it's hard to break the ice. You know, in other words, it's hard. You're not used to being around deer. Like, you know, as well as I do, when you, the more deer you see, the more you, you know, you're in a tree, you have deer around, you get more relaxed and things like that. Well, if you only see a couple deer every year, you know, that, that, year or whatever, or that, for that season, um, it's hard to break the ice. It's hard to get yourself comfortable when you, when a shot opportunity does present itself, you know. And, Absolutely. uh, that's some of the you things.
1: Know, you talked about breaking you know, the ice. One of the things I try to do, if at all possible, is shoot a doe in the season to try to get the juice sure. out before a, a big mature buck comes.
2: Right. You're right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. But some I, of the things you got to deal with, or yeah, I shouldn't say you have to deal with some of the things to expect, you know, um, and, 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 and that style of Because, like we talked last week, it is definitely one of the most, you know, challenging, um, Ways too hot white, like mature white oh, house for absolutely. sure. Nobody nobody can argue that, you know.
1: And and with that, I, I kind of have a couple questions that popped into my brain as you were talking about some of your your stuff. You said hunting the edge of laurel and, and funnels and stuff. So kind of gathering by the strategies that you've employed over the few, you know over your course of your bow hunting career, um, it sounds like you know calling has worked real well. And you said you're about looking for funnels, and those are two things that stand out to me as being geared more towards. The later half of the archery season, getting into that late October into November time frame when we we talk about hunting phases of the rut. So, do you try to focus the the majority of your time during that magical time of year that so many archery hunters go for because it's your highest odds potential? Um, like, do you kind of stack your time available to that, or do you find yourself using some of those strategies throughout the entire hunting season? Um, and, and you just might have different rates of success throughout given times of the year.
2: I've had absolutely my, my most luck has come basically at two times a year. Halloween is around Halloween. Um, let's say those last, you know, 26th of October, all the way to about Halloween. I, I, those have been my best best days for sure. I don't do very good the first week in November. And then right around um, Veterans Day, I've had killed Several several bucks. I'm sure bucks right around Veterans Day there, but um, I I, most of my time is spent that last two weeks of season um, hunting. You know, some typically some type of funnel system if, Mm -hmm. if I can find it. You know. Um, is is, is that what you're asking? Is that what your question is? Yeah, I
1: was curious, like, you know, you talked about those, those strategies. So I I was curious, does that mean you try to like focus the majority of your time, you know, you're, you're a a family man and and a working man as much as possible and you have to take vacation just like most people. So you try to skew that to those times. And I guess, it, are, are you doing any hunting early season or late season? And if you are, do you use some of those similar strategies throughout those times of the year as well?
2: Early seasons obviously revolves right around food sources. You know, if I can find acorns, spotty acorns. Spotty acorns are definitely, that can be gold mines. Um, Like, you know, that's what I killed that deer last year was the first week of season on, on that situation with acorns. Mm. Um, those can be gold, you know, absolute gold mines. My wife killed a pretty nice buck the first, first day of the 2014 season, I think it was, under white oak acorns, um, which we don't, we don't typically get a whole lot of white oak, uh, acorn years. But we did that year. It was a spot of year that I had found, uh, about, I don't know, end of August probably. Um, looking, looking up in the trees with an office. I do a lot of that, you know, um, in August and whatnot, looking up in the trees for acorns and, but yeah, it's all early seasons revolves around uh, food sources of sort for sure. And I, I've killed, it's probably just because I hunt more during the rut. Um, you know, I've had more success um, definitely this last, you know, couple weeks of the season, which probably because that's the most amount of time that I've spent, you know, sitting in the tree. And uh, that's, that's probably the only reason, you know, reason why, but yeah, it's just spent pretty much in, in funnel-type areas. Um, clear-cut edges are good area, areas, too, you know. Like we, we were talking last week there about about that. And uh, uh, clear-cut's basically a big, giant food plot for deer. And a lot of guys are starting to catch on to that now, you know, with the Internet and stuff like mm-hmm. that. If you said that maybe 10, 15 years ago, it may not have been as well-known uh, information, I guess. But Are you um, doing a yeah, lot first... of
1: in-season scouting? Do you have a lot of that stuff prepared as you go into the season?
2: I I do some, yeah, I do some because, uh, you know, what I, what I find in, in, in March and April can change obviously with, with different food sources for sure. You know, um, you, I might have a particular clear cut that I might plan to hunt, you know, close to, well, there's an oak stand or, you know, if, 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 if the oak stand didn't produce or something, you know, if one did two miles away and that's where a lot of the deer are going to be, they're going to move, you know, for sure. So that, you know, I, I do some scouting, uh, during the season, but most, you know, I, I Probably spend more time sitting in a tree than I do scouting. If I had to, I had to compare the two, for sure, because I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. You know, like I said earlier, you know, I, I've had a good teacher. My dad, that taught me what I feel is what I believe is the right way to hunt, and uh, I have an understanding wife that lets me hunt. <laughs> mm. And I have big, a job where I can take. I can, there. yeah, where I can take. I have a job where I can take a lot of time off, which is the key, um, because you got to be able. You got to have a time. There's, there's no doubt about it. it. It To have consistent success, anyways, you have to be willing to, to hunt every single day. There's, there, you know, in, in, in that type of terrain, you know, because, you know, when you have such a huge land base, the deer aren't any different. You know, the mature bucks aren't any different than what they are behind people's houses and stuff. They, pretty much, lay all day long, and uh, a lot of their activity is at night. I'm not going to say they're, they're nocturnal by any means, but the majority of their activity is at night, which is why we don't see them. When you got such a huge land base, you know, your chance of laying eyes on them when, when they're only moving a little bit anyways is so slim and your chance of getting them even close, you know, in 20 yards or whatever, you know, is even slimmer yet. So you got to have a lot of time. And, and there's a, you know, the other thing I want to say here too is, uh, there is a ton of luck involved in it. A ton of luck. When I killed that deer last year, um, I did a couple podcasts or whatever and, uh, um, I, I remember, You know, I I don't remember what it was. I said said about having luck. I was extremely lucky. And any mature buck, in my opinion, especially a big woods deer that is killed by any hunter under ethical means, there is a ton of luck involved in it. Mm. And it's something you don't hear a lot of guys talk about because, well, you know, we were talking about wind direction. You know, it's at least sixty percent of my sits. At least that. It might be upwards of seventy-five percent of my sits are you know fighting the wind. You know. And you aren't going to beat those big wood deer or those mountain deer. You know they smell human odor; they're gone. They are not going to live. They're not going to tolerate that. Um, but there, anyways, there's a, there's a lot of luck involved in it. And what I'm getting at is that's where you got to put the time in. You will earn that luck. I promise you that if you and my dad taught me this a long time ago, that if you if you continue putting the time in and and, and, and you know hunting hard and hunting ethically. That luck will go your way, you know, the way will come your way. And, uh, I can remember my first deer hunt with my dad back in 1991, it was. And we sat for 13 hours at the base of a white oak tree and never saw a deer all day long. Not one deer. And I was 12 years old. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in the woods with my dad beforehand, you know, filming turkeys. My, my dad's a videographer of turkeys. And, uh, but anyways, um, so I, you know, I did a lot of scouting with him, you know, beforehand and, I can remember driving home that night is this is over thirty years ago. And him saying to me, you know, you gotta earn every hair on that deer, you know, and you do kill one, he says, and You'll kill one, he says, but you gotta earn every hair. And that is stuck with me mm. to this day. I've never forgot that. And he is so right because I've seen that time and time again, you know, the the harder you hunt, the more time you put in, um, the more things will go your way. I guarantee you they will I promise you they will. If you do it ethically and responsibly, I guarantee you they will. And, uh, that stuck with me to this day and words that every bow hunter should, should live by, you know, But uh, just, yeah. It's always, Absolutely. yeah,
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think people like to try to be, I think everything in life we want to do, we want to be as efficient as we possibly can. Right. I mean, right, you know, right. why wouldn't we, but at the end of the day, time in the woods and preparation you can't replace that I mean you can be smarter but at the end of the day you, you've you got to at least have um, some type of edge going into the season and you know you, you hunted that that fantastic deer last year and you knew about him for a duration of time and you've talked about some specific deer that you've followed over the years so do you try to target specific bucks in big wood settings on a yearly basis or do you kind of position yourself say well i know that you know this ridge has typically held you know two or three mature buck in the the past few seasons and i believe they're still alive and i'm going to spend some time here like what is your mindset now because there's definitely a huge drive in today's hunting culture of targeting Mm -hmm. specific deer and trying to think uh, try, trying to think and know everything that that mature deer does um right to a t and and first of all that's extremely difficult in the settings that you're talking Absolutely. about in northern pennsylvania Absolutely. but it's it's still something that people try to do so where do you kind of find yourself
2: i find myself hunting areas like like i said earlier where where specific Not shouldn't say specific deer where a mature buck is going to pass through you know with those funnels and whatnot um I've only ever been able to kill two deer that I've, I, I should say targeted or somewhat targeted. And that's, that's the one last year. And then that lumpy throw buck, there is a, you know, I have, I don't know, 1500 sheds in my, in my shed collection here. Wow. And a lot, and a lot of those, a lot of those bucks that I've part, you know, a lot of deer I've targeted. I mean, a pile of them, but I shouldn't say targeted, but I, I knew about, um, but I never laid eyes on them. I don't believe that you can pattern. When I say pattern, especially during a rut, I, I don't believe you it can be done on in in, in the mountains in in big woods because they're too unpredictable. You you cannot predict what they're going to do. You know, last year without with the year that I killed 2020, that year that I killed, you know, I, I the food source there acorns, and I had that one uh or a couple of trail or pictures at that one night, the first day of archery season there, where we moved in, you know, right before right before dark, and that's probably one of the only times that I've only made. You know, I shouldn't say. I, pattern him but i knew that he was in that area you know based Mm -hmm. off that trail you know that trail camera picture and luckily i was able to capitalize on that but you know and that's where the luck comes in there's a a tremendous amount of luck in that too you know um but i i don't think you can pattern a big was white. i I don't think you can i like we were talking last week there's a big talk about bedding areas right well (laughs) you know i There is absolutely no way I can tell you where a bedding area is in the the area, in the the topography that I hunt. I mean, it's, you know, you got a 2000 acre mountain where there's 1,800 acres of its mountain world, you know, they can bed anywhere they want to bed and, you know, have security and, you know, nobody even know they even exist, you know, and and a lot of times I think they'll just let you walk right by when you do, you know, if you are walking, you know, they'll just lay there like a rabbit, you know, and, uh, I, I, that's, I have my best success hunting funnels during, during, obviously, you know, during, you know, that, during the rut, basically, but at Halloween time and that uh, Veterans Day time has been very good, very good to me. But, um, sure. I, like I said, I just, I don't think it can be done. There's too much unpredictability in the animal and the landscape itself. And, uh, but that's, that's just my opinion, like I said earlier, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, I am no expert on it, but I just, like I said, I have just a lot of time that I have I'm very fortunate that I can spend doing it you know been so.
1: and that is going to do it for part one of our conversation we had with Corey Golvis guys be sure to tune in next week for part two I think you're going to really enjoy it we'll catch you again next week have a good week